0: so that those who are united to you by faith might truly be fed as, as as truly as we are fed at the table at this communion table that we have before us Lord we are fed by Christ in the preaching of the word so help us to receive it as it is the Word of God help us to uh, help me as the the preacher to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit whereby the words that I say are Are taken from your word, not added into it, but that we receive during this time the word of the Lord. So we thank you. We pray you'll bless this time. There are those who hear who have not faith. We pray that we pray to promise that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We profess now the word of Christ, and we pray this in your holy name. Amen. So again, Romans chapter 11. Reading verses 16 through 24. The word of the Lord. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. If the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree, the word of the Lord. Now, one thing I may have mentioned before I read it, but if you do have the Y'all translation, you will notice that the U's in this are singular yous, which is a little unusual sometimes in scripture that they use the instead of the Y'all. This is not saying Y'all, this is individually. So he's saying. Um, as we read through this, that he is speaking not to Gentiles, might, but the whole thing of the Gentiles are going to be broken off, it's just as all of the Israel has been broken off. He said, that's not what has happened. Um, the first part here is talking about Israel is holy, and the church is holy, but you, as an individual person, you make sure you're actually a member of that spiritually, whether it be as he's talking to Israel or to a church, and what we're going to see in just a moment is it's the same thing. So in the first half of chapter 11, which we preached last week, we saw that a part of the purpose of God's calling of the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, to faith in Jesus Christ was to drive Israel to jealousy, is what Paul said. And so we examined in that sermon just exactly what it was about the coming of faith of the Gentiles that would make them jealous, and it was primarily in the beautiful relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ and that we are beloved of Him and we are beloved in Him and that not just our persons are accepted in Christ, but also that our works too are accepted in Christ so that we are able by the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance with His Word, able to do things that are good and pleasing in the sight of God. That we, the natural Reaction to God as a believer comes into heaven would be, well done, good and faithful servant. And yet we know in our hearts that our works are impure, that they are um, apart from Christ, even maybe filthy rags. But as the Holy Spirit is at work in us, as we have his word at work in us through the Holy Spirit, as the blood of Christ is applied to our persons, as we... Feeble as our efforts may be at being Christian, that God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, actually, as he is pleased with us in Christ, he is pleased with those actions that are in accordance with his word so that it is not an impossible task for a Christian to do things that are pleasing to God. If it's impossible for us to please God, then you just give up and why try? If you, have, if you ever had a parent, I'm sure none of us have, ever had a parent that just, no matter what you did, it wasn't right, then you just sort of give up and why try? And so God is a good father. He loves us, he cares for us, and he, um, as with believers, he meets with us in our weakness and infirmity, and he calls us to himself so that we can say, God is pleased with me. And there may be times as a believer when you fall far short and you sin and God fall under what we call God's fatherly displeasure. But it's a fatherly displeasure to the believer so that even as uh, he sees us doing something that is terribly bad for us, he can't just give us high fives and say, keep on, keep on, keep on. What good father does that? But you find ways to discipline, to disciple, to train your children up, um, not in the way that they want to go, but in the way they ought to go. Because if you let a child go like they want to go, they're they're not going to depart from it when they're older. So it takes this training, and we know that as parents. And God is a good father, so there is a training, a discipling that happens with the father. But you can please him. He is not an impossible father to please for those who are in Christ. Now as we get here in verses 16 through 24, we're going to receive even further encouragement about who we are in the faith. And it also is going to come with a warning to individuals in the church of Your need, our need to continue in the faith. And so first is verse 16. And if you're a note taker and you like points, this is going to be um, Israel is still holy. And so verse 16, uh, we read if the dough offered as first fruits is holy. This is the Old Testament um, um, quote. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole so is the whole lump. So you've got this a uh, lump of dough that's um, supposed to be holy to the Lord where well, you give the first fruits of it. And we think of our tithing as a part of that or, or giving as a part of that. You, everything we have belongs to the Lord and we give a portion of it not to say, well, here's 10% or whatever it is you give. It's like, here's this... Do with it. Now I gotta rest of mine. I'm gonna do what I want to with it. You got yours, I got mine. You know, it seems odd that you. you get ninety percent, God only gets ten percent. It's all the Lord's, but what you're doing is dedicating this is all yours, Lord. I acknowledge the fact that it comes from your hand. And so it's this principle from this this dough, this little lump, this piece of dough that's offered, and it makes the whole batch of dough holy. And so this is Israel is still holy. And this is Israel as a people group, holy, not as morally and spiritually perfect. Because whenever we think of the word holy, that's where our minds, I think, tends to go. It's like, he's, you know, he's holy. Because we'll say, oh, he's holier than thou. That means you're acting like you're better than everybody else. So we think of the word as holy, meaning morally and spiritually perfect. And there is a sense in that, but the word actually just means separate. And in the Bible, it's separate unto God's purposes. And so Israel is a separate entity that Paul still talks about that is holy unto God and he says you know it's still the promises of God still hold forth to Israel because they're still a remnant and what is the remnant they talks about it is those who have faith in Jesus Christ For it's only in faith in Jesus Christ that anybody will say be saved whether it's Israel whatever nation Jesus Christ faith in Jesus Christ from the time of Adam to the time of the, the next person to get saved, the last person to get saved, is always and only through faith in Jesus Christ. There's never another way for anyone ever to be saved after the fall of Adam and all of us in him. So if you look at this, Romans 9, 6 through 8. let just kind of have to turn a page or two. Romans chapter 9, verse 6 through 8, he makes this point. You know, what about Israel is the whole thing? So verse 6, "...but it is not as though the word of God has failed." You know, because most of the Jews at the time, and even today, if you look at the church, is mostly Gentile. It's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it's not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. And that's that's Old Testament stuff. That's Abrahamic promise stuff. That was never was a person included in the the faithful, saved people of God just by circumcision, just by being a member of Abraham. Jesus even told the Jews who were denying him that if I want to, I could raise up sons of Abraham from these stones. And as we look at ourselves... This is what he has done. He has raised up children of Abraham, even in our midst through ourselves. But Paul makes the point that not all of Israel is Israel. Spiritual Israel is Israel. The promise still holds because there's still a remnant. And so when he takes this lump that is being maintained... The whole thing is holy. Doesn't mean because a few people are saved out of Israel that that every single person therefore is going to heaven. It just means God is not done with His people yet. There's some mystery in this. We aren't sure. There's differences of opinion of what this is going to look like and how this is going to play itself out. But one of the things that seems clear from Romans that Paul is saying is, that, I wish I could be cut off from my people, but there's going to come a day when the the the, the people as a nation are again going to be engrafted back into this tree. So we're going to look at kind of what this means because Israel's salvation is now, as it always has been, only through faith in Jesus Christ. The substance of every promise was always the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul uses two examples to show this. First, that he's not finished with Israel. And second, that we are a continuation of spiritual Israel as the church. And so from the Old Testament, which we can, which could easily be called the Old Testament church. We're going to look at that. Can you call the people of God in the Old Testament the Old Testament church? And most, you know, certainly in a reformed camp, we yes and amen. So the Old Testament church is people of God. So if we want to call that church, we're going to call it a church. The New Testament church does not replace Israel. Okay, there's a thing called replacement theology. We get accused of that sometimes. It's like, oh, that's not what we're talking about. You don't have two peoples of God. The dividing wall has been cast down. But the New Testament church is the continuation of spiritual Israel. So, And follow me, some of this can be, oh, he's up there talking about theology and it's Mother's Day and i got to go home. Stop that. Uh, you got to get right thinking about God because wrong thinking about God is going to send you down paths that you never thought. That, like, how does this apply to anything? It applies. It's very important because the New Testament church is the continuation of spiritual Israel. The dough, the lump, the, the part that's taken away, the, the patriarchs. Abraham, promises made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, these promises, the covenant promises for God's people pointing to Christ, the promises being made with them who are the lump and they are the root of this tree that he's talking about. The Gentiles have just been engrafted into this tree. So we're going to look at that in a second. Israel is still holy. But as we shall see, all of her members may only be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Only by being members of the church in this sense, Paul has written that there is neither Jew nor Greek. He has said that. And so as we look at uh, verse 17, second point is Gentiles are grafted in. What does that mean? So verse 17, 11, 17. But if some of these branches were broken off, And you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Well, period. That you now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. So you got to think about that. Okay, first of all. You know, the, the olive tree was always an emblem and and symbol of Israel in the Old Testament. It was always anybody reading this in Rome who had been familiar with the Old Testament at all would go olive tree. Okay, you're talking about Israel. We get it. We get the connection. This isn't something new. Paul is is coming up with. And they were th- these olive trees were were gardened. They were cultivated. They were um, made into orch orchid orchids, orchards. Orchards. <laughs> they were made into orchards. And Rome at some point comes through and just tears them down, cuts them off, and they're not there. But this was, it was a great pride, a Mount of olives. But they had to be, they had to be cultivated as an art to it. And they, were, they had some of the best olives, and the olive oil was, was beautiful. But then you had these wild olive trees, and they weren't good for much. And I don't want to even pretend that I know much about gardening. As soon as I think I know something about gardening... Everything I have dies. So, but we do have some blackberry bushes that we bought from Lowe's uh, a while back, and they've just flourished. It's, it's very good because it doesn't matter what we, I've run of them with trucks. I've pulled them up by accident. I hit them with weed eaters. They're still there. It's awesome. But they're not wild. They were somehow made. Now, we have some wild ones that are over on the other side of our house, and they kind of stay around too, but they're not, they just, they're, you can't, they're just tiny little, they're not good. So if somebody knew what they were doing, they could fix all this stuff. But these wild olive trees were not producing. They weren't, this is not what you wanted. And even, I don't want to get much into how grafting works and everything, but apparently it works the opposite way. If you take a good graft and put it into a tree that's failing to help the tree do better, but Paul is saying this is not according to nature, so just kind of go with it, is what he's saying. So, And if 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 you just listen to what he's saying, it makes Complete sense. The wild olive trees were not producing much fruit; they were worthless, and that was the unbelieving Gentiles. But by faith in the Jewish Messiah in Jesus Christ, they're saved, and they are grafted into the nourishing root of the olive tree. Okay, so you got the olive tree, and you got these branches that are unbelieving, so they're they're being broken off. It's like if you have a a, a tree or a plant or something; and these, these dead branches they're being broken off. They're not producing any fruit. But then this wild olive tree is being put into it, into this nourishing root. And this is what the church, the Gentiles he's talking to now are inheriting, this nourishing root. You are engrafted into this nourishing root. And again, the New Testament church is not a replacement for Israel. Israel, spiritual Israel, believing Jews were transformed into the New Testament covenant community at Pentecost when the spirit of the risen and glorified Christ was given to the church. And this is the birth of the New Testament church when it came upon the Holy Spirit himself, came upon these, these Jews so that the believers received the Holy Spirit by faith and were transformed from the old covenant promises to the new covenant promises where the Mosaic law was done away with, but the promises to Abraham were being fulfilled in them and also now in us, Gentiles, who are being brought in, receiving the Holy Spirit, also being adopted into the family of God, the household of God, the new covenant community, the ecclesia is called in Greek, it's the called out ministry, is the church, the called out assembly. So look at Galatians chapter 3. So if you turn with me, these letters of Paul are, are grouped together. It's after 1 and second Corinthians, Galatians chapter 3. Listening to what this has to say about the church and with these promises that have been made through Abraham. So the church is this nourishing plant. It's not that you had Israel, new, Old Testament ends, and then we start something brand new with the New Testament. We are connected to these Old Testament promises. We're connected to this nourishing root of Israel, believing Israel. In chapter 3, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is what happens during the preaching of the word of Christ to a church. Christ, publicly proclaimed, displayed, portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And obviously you receive Christ through hearing with faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you're now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you work miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith, that's the church, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of law are under a curse. For it's written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Tree, this is where we're receiving this nourishing sap from this root of Abraham as these promises are coming to us who are united to him by faith. Verse 15 to give a human example, brothers, even if a man made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring. It was Christ. So Christ is being promised to Abraham. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards, this is with Moses, does not annul, does not break a covenant previously ratified by God, the Abrahamic covenant. So Moses comes along with his, what is now called the Old Covenant, but the Old Covenant, the covenant with Moses, did not stop the covenant with Abraham. So Abraham's promise, the God promised Abraham was, You're going to be my people is by faith. Moses comes along and says, you keep the law. And those who were of faith would have looked at that and went, I I can't do it. Here's my heart. They can seal it. But what they did instead was, for the most part, was they turned their backs to him, not their hearts. The prophets are calling to Israel. They did not say you must do better. I mean, they would at times say, you know, quit doing these evil things, but the problem was not the outward manifestations. It was the heart that was at the root of the problem of these outward manifestations. If you want to know why somebody's doing bad things, it's because it comes from a bad heart. So as a man's heart goes, so shall his life go. And this is what you believe is demonstrated in, in how you live your life. You can say you like the food, but if you don't want to eat it and you make faces when you're eating we believe what we see more than what we hear and because it demonstrates an inward reality verse 19 why then the law it was added because of transgressions people were doing so bad until the offspring christ should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary Now, intermediary implies more than one but god is one Twenty one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive to the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. That means you're going to be declared righteous, not by works of law, but by whom you believe in. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Jesus Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring's heirs according to the promise. I read that whole chapter. (laughs) And so because what that chapter is saying is Abraham, 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 you are receiving the promises made to Abraham. And if you have faith, Abraham is your father. You are a child, one of the promised children. As you know, sands of the sea, as stars in the sky, the promise of many children through the one offspring, Jesus Christ, so that we have been brought into the promises of Abraham. He's saying the same thing in Galatians as he's saying here in Romans is there's is this nourishing root in which we have been engrafted. And again, Frances Edith Schaefer has a book she entitled Christianity is Jewish. Amen. It is because. Spiritual Israel continues as this new covenant has come in at Pentecost and then the Gentiles are being brought into it. It's amazing. And this is what we're thanking our God for. This new covenant community in which we have been included. And the church is nourished by the promises of God to Abraham. The salvation, that salvation would be through righteousness, by faith alone in Christ alone. Jesus said in John eight thirty six. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and was glad. So where is the discontinuity of the new covenant and the Abrahamic covenant? Again, I don't want to lose people. But Old Testament, New Testament. There are some people who would just as soon rip off, rip out the Old Testament and all you get is a New Testament Bible. That's all you need. You're a New Testament church. You're not Old Testament. It's like, Hebrews will never make sense to you. All this Abraham stuff doesn't make sense to you. Don't cut yourselves off from the root. Spiritual Israel is being transformed into the new covenant community at Pentecost. And is why we're all able to come to the same table. But where are we told that there's this discontinuity? Where are we told that the promise is no longer to you and to your household? Where are we told um, this? Especially when we see New Testament baptisms, we see that it's, Many household baptisms. Well, there's an infant in any of these households. It doesn't make a difference because if you're doing household baptisms, sooner or later you're going to get to one that has an infant. And we believe in that God instituted the church, government, and the household as the three primary institutions in this world. And so this is one of the reasons we love Mother's Day and we love Father's Day because the household is vitally important to the church, to the world. That God has instituted this so that you can have a godly offspring. One of the best ways of growing the church is by believers having babies and raising them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And it's what we're called to do. We are nowhere told to stop giving the covenant sign of promise to our children. The covenant promise has been expanded, not shrunken or limited. And therefore, our children, just as Paul says in Ephesians, they are holy. They're set apart. They live a different life. Than those outside, they are inside the church. They are actually, by baptism, members of the New Testament, New Covenant, New Covenant community. We hope they will continue in faith so that they will have the outworking of their faith for salvation. But the sign is no longer the bloody sign of circumcision on this side of the cross. It's been fulfilled in Christ, but now Christ was cut off for us. So as Paul says in Philippians 3, 3, we are the circumcision, the church we are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ. It's important that we understand these things, that circumcision, that we are circumcised by the circumcision made without hands. This is Colossians 2.11. We, and this is in our baptism, we have been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the circumcision of Christ. And if you were a Jewish person after Pentecost and you have all the Abrahamic promises, drilled into your mind and you're hearing this stuff. You make the obvious connections between circumcision and baptism and you're like when are they going to come? When do I bring my household for baptism? And somebody would have had to say no one will do that anymore. You have stop. And nowhere is that said. Nowhere is that said. Therefore though we are given a warning for what was true of the physical children of Abraham who received the outward sign of the covenant that they must believe or they are not of spiritual Israel. Faith being a matter of the head and heart. For as Isaiah twenty nine thirteen and Matthew quoted in, by, in Matthew fifteen eighteen says, they honor me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. So we have to ask is, you know, is that you? Individually you, because this is what Paul's talking about. Do you honor him with your mouth? And you might say, yes and amen. Good, you honored him with your mouth. But where's your heart? This is going to be the question. Where's your heart? Is your heart with Christ or just your your body and your, your 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 head, because it's the heart that is changed unto salvation. The church is saved, but not everyone who is an external member of the church is a spiritual member of the church. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in your salvation. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And third, and finally, that salvation is always and is always only through faith in Jesus Christ. So as you look at 18 through 24 with this point, don't be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, and so why would you be arrogant toward the branches? What does that mean? Well, look at me. I'm a, you know, the Jews were broken off because of unbelief, but here I am, I'm a Gentile. Y'all got broken off, because that's the plural you. Y'all got broken off, and I'm grafted in. I'm awesome. He's like, well, Be careful. Remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Again, you're supported by Abrahamic promises. That is to say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. Now, in Greek, the first words there are unbelief. Because of unbelief, this caused them to be broken off. Faith is what causes you to stand. Lack of faith and faith is what causes you to stand. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So it's like, wait a second. That sounds awful lot like I could lose my salvation. I'm sitting here a believer. I'm loving the Lord my God all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm trying to do everything I can. I got baptized. I'm trying to baptize my children. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to the Lord's Supper. I'm doing all these things. I believe. I pray. I, I desire to be saved. And yet he's telling me I can be broken off. Well, that's what it would sound like. But what he's actually saying is maybe you were baptized as an infant. Maybe you were baptized as an adult. Maybe you got baptized at some point, but it wasn't, you don't have faith. So don't think that just mere external um, baptism, external Lord's Supper, that these things do something just to save you without faith. It's all only through faith that you're saved. So examine yourself, see if you're in the faith. That's the question. Where's your heart? And one of the things you might do is say, well, I look at my life, and man, my life does not line up with what I see. And so, uh, what's fun for a pastor to do, not fun, but it's, well, sometimes it is, is say, do better, be better. But are you so foolish, oh, Galatians, as they haven't begun in the spirit, you're now trying to be perfected by works? Okay, wait a second. You know, you're going to be imperfect. And the All right, here's my analogy again. How good do you have to be to be saved? And you ask a lot of people, it's like, well, you know, Jesus is here. I need to be somewhere up in here. I got to be, you know, it's like this is where, you know, people are bad. I got to be better than that. You know, so I got to be at least this good. And it's like, okay. But then you realize, like, nope, it's by faith in Christ. Well, how good is Jesus? Well, Jesus is here. Where are you? Ah, I'm not that good. And then you start to realize as time goes on, it's like, man, I'm not, I'm doing better. I'm doing better. I'm doing better. And then when you really start to do better, you realize, whoa, I'm a lot more sinful than I thought. And Jesus is more holy than I thought. And then you start to realize, wait a minute, he's even more holy than I thought. And man, I'm even more sinful than I thought. And then you continue to grow in the Lord and you start to recognize your fallenness is even worse than you thought and sin is worse than you imagined. But holiness is greater than you ever imagined. So as you grow in Christ, it's like you're growing further and further from him because you recognize the beauty and majesty of God and perfection and holiness and your sinfulness. And then you see that he's adopted you and he's loved you and he came down from heaven to save you and he died on the cross and shed his blood. He left his majesty to be humiliated on this earth so that, that he might be highly exalted so that name of Jesus, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Look what he did. Look how big the cross is. Look how great his love is. So the more you recognize his majesty, and your lostness, your depravity, that's when you recognize the great love of Christ, the great promises in Christ, and then when you recognize the fact that He says, when you are sinking, He grabs your hand and holds you and pulls you up and says, You have a little faith, why do you doubt? You know, it's just, He loves us in Christ. Look what He's done for us in Christ. So the question isn't about your works. Your works will, you should produce fruit of works as a believer. Your faith should be producing work. So you should be able to look at your life and say, I see progress. And this is, that, this is that catch, 22 type thing it seems like sometimes, because how do I know I'm truly saved? Well, look at your life. Do you see transformation? Well, a hypocrite's going to go, yeah, I'm good enough to get into heaven. I'm probably better than I need to be to get into heaven. And so are you going to look at your works? So you can't even do that. You had to look to the promises. First is, does it, does it bother you? Is it, does it hurt you? Does it, uh, does it scare you to think that you could be broken off? And do you, like that he would turn his back on you. Does that bother you? Is that like something that's like, that can't be true. Tell me that's not true, that Jesus could just turn his back, that God the Father could just say to me, eh, done with you, breaking you off, putting somebody else in. Does that bother you? Is that like, ah? then that's the Holy Spirit at work in you because the non-believer is rejecting this stuff. A hypocrite pretends to like it and a believer throws himself upon Jesus Christ and says, please save me a sinner. I believe, help my unbelief. Let your grace be true. Let all the promises of God be true and all the world a liar. I confess my need of you. I cling to you because I know I have no other Savior. Not me, not anybody else, not my children, not my husband, not my money, not anything. All to thee, all to thee. All to thee alone. And from the nourishing root of the promises made to Abraham. So that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And we become his children. So that the meager faith that we have, which is a gift. Is counted righteous. So that he adopts us as his children. And the love of Christ, the love of God, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In baptism, we see that we've been brought into this covenant community. What does it point to? Holy Spirit baptism. And what's that? Speaking in tongues, jumping up and down and shouting and singing loud. Anybody can do that. No. Your sins have been washed away. You're cleansed. You have a new heart. You have new desires. You want holiness to be something that you want. The Lord's Supper says, I'm giving it to you. In me. You come to me. Listen to my words. Listen to the church. Listen to the sacrament speak. Pay attention. Breathe, eat, drink these things. I am yours, you are mine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in him, you are nourished. You are brought to new life. And and we have this hope that is secure for us in the heavens. So let's pray. Father God, help us to cling to our baptism. Not that we received an outward sign of, of water, but that when you baptized us with water, it is a sign and a seal of your promises that the promise of the gospel is death and resurrection in Christ. We lived with him, we died with him, and by the Holy Spirit, our hearts are clean. For anyone who has faith, anyone who has faith, We've received the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness of sins. And then we come to the table. We're renewed again in our faith. Just as. As bread brings life. As wine brings hope. As as these things that are necessary to life. Have been brought to us. As we eat at a table. we to remember that. The gospel is food to us. You are given to us. As we come to the table Lord we pray that you would help us to know that you are truly spiritually present in the gospel to the believers. As truly as we taste the bread and drink the cup, we know that you are ours and you're given to us. And we carry you away from here because you carry us. So we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.